Hello and welcome back to the Bolf podcast. And a few days after the semi-finals of the Champions League, or the first leg, we're going to do a special just on some European football. I'm here, of course, as ever, with BBK. BBK, what's up? Hello. How are you? <laughs> Sorry, I kind of ruined it. <laughs> Can we just keep going? Just keep rolling. <laughs> um, just keep rolling. Um, we'll just do it again. Uh, hello, uh, Ben. How uh, how are you? Have you ever spoken before? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I'm quite an again? esteemed co-host, as you've said many a time. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Bolf Podcast. I am here, as always, with BBK, my esteemed co-host. How are you doing, bro? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thank you. This week, we're going to be doing a purely European special, obviously with the semi-finals of the, Europe- the Europa League and the Champions League. Uh, the first legs have taken place, so we're just going to kind of chat through them. Obviously, BBK being a Man United fan, we'll chat through that. And we will also do a little bit on the F1, being as the F1 goes to Portugal this weekend. Do you remember remember the good times that we had in Portugal? I do remember the good times in Portugal. Unfortunately, we can't repeat those on the podcast um, for, you know, might get arrested. Party too hard. (laughs) 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 I do have to say that is a joke. If any police are listening, we obeyed the laws perfectly. In Portugal. I didn't. Bro, what do you mean you didn't? I didn't. Well, what did you do in Portugal that was so illegal? Um, I drunk from a bottle that I didn't pay. Did you actually? Yeah, do you not remember when we went to, when we were on the strip and there was that um, shot that I was offering that vanilla, whis- uh, vanilla whiskey for me to eat? Hang on, so so let me just, you think you broke the law because you tried a free sample? Well, no, but I had, I had about eight free samples. But but what's the key word before sample? Well, they weren't looking. I just kept drinking the free samples out there. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so they gave me it's one and thought, like, yeah, I, I, that's enough for me. They probably just walked away and I just thought there was like, a couple more samples and just drunk them. Yeah, fair enough. Um, for more stories like that, please visit the Vol- both Instagram. I'm sure we can... I don't know... Something we'll probably put some pictures up. I don't know. Fuck it. Who cares? We'll do some both throwbacks. Anyway, on to the football. So this week we had the Champions League semi-finals, which we'll start off with first because it's it's the better competition. Um, do you agree with that, Ben? Um, well, I think it always depends on like which teams are you know in the competitions. Um, Obviously, you look at like, the Europa League at the minute. There's, there's the historical and prestigious teams such as you know Manchester United and Arsenal, Roma, um, and then you sort of look at the Champions League, and there's quite a few oil clubs in there. You know, you look the likes of Chelsea, Man City, PSG. But um, it's just a it's just a matter of opinion, really. Which which uh, competition is the better competition? Yeah, but ultimately, who wants to watch football on a Thursday? You know what I mean? Well, if you think about it, what else is there to do on a Thursday? Roxy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, so the first first game I think we'll talk about is probably uh, oil versus oil. Uh, we'll talk about I don't even know if PSG are run by an oil company, but uh, PSG versus Man City. Obviously, a huge game for Man City. It's the first time in the semi-finals. Is that right? I think. Right, it was. It was a uh, first time in their history. Um, yeah, and obviously winning against PSG is is quite a difficult thing to do, as Bayern Munich and Barcelona have both shown. So, uh, good result? Um, it was. I watched the, the game. It was a really entertaining game, actually. Quite um, end-to-end. Uh, PSG were the best team in the first... Were the better team, sorry, in the first half. Um, I thought Neymar ran the show. What, what a player he is. Uh, underrated, as I may say. Um, and in second half, I don't know what happened. They just went 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 off the off the stove if you in a way uh, man city man city came out and they just showed their quality especially with Kevin de bruyne running the show if you know when you've got him in your team you've always got a chance to win a game of football um and they got two vital away goals yeah and i'm just just looking at the statistics obviously the first half man city had all the possession but psg had all the shots shots on target that kind of stuff and in the second half, like you say, City just had more possession and thus more shots on goal. So I was going to kind of ask, do you think it was PSG kind of falling off or were City just better in that second half? Um, I think Defoe's Pep Guardiola at half-time probably had a bit of a rant at them. You know, um, I think first half, they weren't pressing as much. They were allowing Neymar to have the ball too much. He was just doing his flicks and skills and whatnot. Um, allowing PSG just to well not like not have the ball but just you know create more and they they just looked the better team and they looked like they wanted it. Um, but then obviously half time, um, Pep Guardiola changed it. Uh, they got De Bruyne in the game more. I think Foden got in the game a bit more as well. We didn't really see much of him first half. Um, and they just played much better. Obviously their first goal. I don't know if you saw it. It was a bit fluky in a way. Um. De Bruyne crossed. It was a cross shot, basically. You know, one of those where it's like it's crossed, but it's all going on target as well. So if, if someone had touched it, it probably wouldn't have gone in. But um, Kaylor Navas just um, misjudged it. Really, it was a bit of a bit of an error on his behalf. And then Mahrez scored a free kick, which the PSG wall should have defended. Turned around. You don't do that in football, do you? Well, yeah, I think so. I saw the free kick, and to be honest, I don't. I don't massively have any complaint any complaints about it because I think Mares just put it in an area that he knew, probably you know look you know you can look at the wall and see the areas that you might be able to slot the ball through and stuff like that. Don't think the keeper could have done much more, but uh, you know maybe maybe the defenders could tighten up a little bit. I still think when you have a wall though, you should, like the the main job of that wall is to not let anything go through you. Mm. Like you may as well not have a wall there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think. The problem is as well because because football's become a lot less physical. I think things like football walls, you know, you used to talk about them like, you know, your Roy Keynes of the world would literally stand in the wall, and if you had a hundred balls and you pelted a hundred of them at his head, he'd probably wait for the hundred and first ball. You know what I mean? Whereas I think now it's a bit more. Players don't necessarily just smash the ball anymore, so I don't really think there's any excuse for players to be jumping out of the way or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think the free kick looked okay, but ultimately I think 
anyone probably could have scored it the way that the PSG wall kind of defended it. Uh, yeah, I think it's just a bit... I think the generation of footballers and sort of like our generation is sort of a bit more, you know, like fancy, fancy in, if, in a way where it's like, you know, they don't want to get hurt in a way where it's like, you know, they don't, they jump out for challenges or... um which obviously in a way is, you know, you don't want to get injured or whatnot or get hit in the face. No one does. But, you know, you think of the generations before where, that, you know, like you say, Roy Keane, he'd, he'd die for the club. He'd, you know, he would he would put his body on the line. You know, Rio Ferdinand, Vidic, John Terry, all those players, they would, you know, die for the game. Whereas, you know, if you look at that PSG, we'll know who was in it. Probably Neymar, you know, just turned around, didn't want to get hit in his pretty face. Um, and it's a silly way to concede a goal. Yeah, but ultimately, I suppose. Again, I'll go back to the point of if you if you put the the free kick in the right area, you never know. And obviously, he's going to be looking at that wall and all credit to Mares. He's probably picked out the players who he thinks might get out of the way, and he's just thought, well, oh, I'll just stick it there, see what happens. Because yeah, you could have think... even argued that that maybe uh, if if a player had I don't know say it had actually hit the wall, there could have been anyone there to kind of take the rebound or anything. So. I don't know, you never know, but uh, what can you do? Yeah, I think um, yeah. after the game, Kevin De Bruyne said, um, said a post-interview, he was like, I think Riyad said to him that, like, he, uh, he said, like, I want this, I fancy it, and then De Bruyne was just like, yeah, I believe in you, and he went on and scored. Mm. Um, I think, I think we've got a bottle to take a, take a free kick off Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, I think Mahrez has been quite... Uh, he always He's always underrated in that Manchester City team. I think oh, he was criminally. He was, underrated. he was one of the best players against Spurs. Oh, oh they obviously won the Carabao Cup. Oh, oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, they, didn't even mention that. No, um, he was one of the best players against Spurs that game. Um, I think he was one of the best players in that PSG, uh, against PSG as well. Um, and you obviously think what he's done at Leicester, what he's carried on to do at Man, Man City, and you know everyone talks about uh, De Bruyne, Aguero, David Silva when he was there, Torre. Um, but I think no, Mahrez has been one of their best players. Yeah, definitely, and I think as well with with my, obviously just on the on the Carabao Cup final, the reason we're not talking about it is because it was the most boring game of all time. Um, Spurs looked awful. City looked fairly average. Goal done, perfect. Um, with with Mares, I always I think I don't know if it's because he's he's from Leicester and he's he's Algerian. Maybe people just don't look at him the same way. Than you would, you know, say if a player like, I don't know, pick anyone, like Kevin De Bruyne was at Chelsea, and you know he's from Belgium, so he's got a bit more esteem in his name, in his name, maybe, and and that's do why think, people don't do you think that's necessarily underrate De Bruyne. Do you think that's a bit similar with Salah in a way? In a way, yeah, I think Salah's Salah's kind of managed to transcend it because ultimately, you know, Salah's been. I think the difference with Salah and Mar and Mares is Mares isn't the best player at Man City, whereas Salah is, you know, miles, you know, the best player. So yeah. you can't really you can't really underestimate the best player in your team. As I feel like Mares just gets about his business. He's you know he, he's you know very strict on his religion, very strict on all these things. You know he's he's clearly just a good bloke and he just plays his football and gets on with it. I think it's kind of the same with, or it was kind of the same initially with Ingolo Kante. Uh, when certainly when he was at Leicester, you know this kind of this young guy who was French, no one ever really heard heard of him, and then all of a sudden, you know he's one of the the probably is the best midfielder in the world. So 
you know, I think it's one of them where there's just certain players and certain countries that maybe people just don't take as seriously as other countries, maybe. Yeah, just speaking on Kanto correctly, there was a um, a video um, after a recent Chelsea game where Tuchel went like went up to him and was like sort of clapping and applauding him, and you could see that Kante like didn't want to receive it in a way just because he's that he's that humble and like um, just that good of a guy. Obviously, he's a, an incredible footballer as well, but you can just tell that. Um, he doesn't want the like. He don't want to focus on him because he's that much of a of a team player and he cares about the team. Um, and obviously, I think likewise as Mahrez, they both just get on with their jobs. They play football. They're obviously very good as well. Um, and yeah, so credit to them. Yeah, I suppose if we kind of obviously we've talked a bit about City. We know how good they are. Pretty much every position they've got one of the top five players in the world in every single position. Um, you know, they're full of like 60, 70 million pound players in each position. But if we kind of go to PSG, they're a bit of a, for me, they're a bit of a side where they are so similar to Man City and yet the way they spend their money is so different. If you look at, say, Man City, people talk about how much money they spend. But Man City's most expensive player is probably 60 maybe 70 million quid for a centre-back, say. Or, you know, I mean, they, they don't spend a lot on one player. They spend... They don't. They would never spend 120 million. They'd spend four lots of 30 million, or they'd spend two lots of 60 million, if you know what I mean. Whereas I feel like PSG are just the opposite. They've just gone, right, who's the two most expensive players in the world? We'll have them. You know, so he's, they've. I think the problem with PSG is they've put that much... You know, they've put that much money into Mbappe and Neymar that the team around them is fairly average, considering if you look at them, say, player for player, I don't think they're better than many teams, particularly, in terms of the Champions League. Um, I think I agree with you. Obviously, Neymar and Mbappe are there to stand up there. You know, they've got like a few decent players. You look at like, sort of Di Maria, Verratti, they're, they're good players, but you can probably get better better than them um, whereas then you look at the Man City team they've got like you said one of the top five players in the world in each position um, and that's obviously I think ended up being the difference um, in that game um, but um, how do you see it going in the second leg so second leg's going to be in Manchester which potentially you know City have got all the advantages you know they've got the away goals They've got, you know, obviously they're at home. Not that, you know, being at home doesn't really count for much during the pandemic, but they are at home, so they don't have to travel, that kind of thing. And potentially PSG will be without Idrissa Gay. So I'm just looking at their their bench. They've there's probably also, got. There's also some news today that Mbappe's injured. He is. He is. He, he got taken off after. How long was it? He was so he was like a, he was he was like sixty minutes into the game and got a got a cruncher or something. So that's potentially a bit of a problem for uh, for PSG. Well, it's definitely a problem for PSG. PSG. Although, does it potentially give them a chance to kind of change up the way they play a little bit because they've got players like Icardi and Moise Keane on the bench? Potentially, does that allow them to go into that game and play a bit more? You know, kind of not necessarily route one. 
But does it allow them to maybe pump a few more balls into the strikers and let Moise Keane and Icardi go up against, say, Stones and Diaz or, you know, whoever and, and Diaz yeah, think, or, you know, one of the defenders? I think it might do. Cause I think the, the problem with his Mbappe is that he needs space in behind. He's not, he's not that, well, he's obviously a good player, but he's not one of the best, you know, in and around the defenders, you know, first touches. He, he is obviously a player to run in behind, you know, you look at his pace. And I think that's why, in a way, he looks so good in the French league because, for some some reason, I think it's a rule for every team in the French league to you know have their defense on the halfway line. Don't know why. Yeah. Um. And then you look at the game where they played against Man United. I think when Man United beat them away at um the Parc de Prince, you know they they had a, a a defensive line that was you know quite deep, not allowing space to in behind. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know Man City they've got very quick defenders as well, and especially Carl Walker's a right back. Um, he's obviously going to struggle against them. Um, so it might be better for them having, like you say, an Akadi to sort of try and bring Neymar into play and, you know, sh- like shrug off the defenders and just try and cause them a different problem. Yeah, and ultimately it, it does feel, with, with PSG, it does feel like they've got Keane, Icardi, you know, they've got strikers on the bench and yet they seem to be, you know, uh, Pochettino seems to be trying and I think the old manager was the same. They're just trying to get Neymar, Mbappe, and Di Maria all in the team all the time. And I think sometimes that's not really appropriate. Like, there are certain games. Like, for me, against Man City, what you'd have, just looking at their bench, at their bench, sorry, they'd probably have, fair enough, Icardi, probably Di Maria, and Mbappe, in terms of you want people who are probably a bit better and a bit more strong. And I don't feel like Neymar's as strong. And then you'd probably want someone like Danilo in there instead of, I don't know, Paredes, just so they can play a bit more defensive. And, you know, you watch Danilo when he plays for, when he plays for, well, when he used to play, I should say, for uh, for Portugal. He's kind of that Kimmich, you know, Fernandinho type role. I just feel like there's a different way to sell this PSG team where, they can be a bit more defensive and probably be quite good at it. But I think what's going to have really affected them is in the last kind of four years, five years, they've went from having David Luiz and Thiago Silva, which is probably one of the strongest defensive partnerships there's ever been, to then having neither of I you know, having neither of them. And, you know, now the you know, their best defender is probably Marquinhos or Kim Pembe, and they both have to play every game because there's nothing else really that they could potentially put on. Like, I'm just looking at the bench now. They're bringing on Ander Herrera. Like, I know he's decent, but you, you're PSG. You're in the semi-final of the Champions League. You're spending hundreds of millions of pounds on players, and yet you can't afford anyone better than Ander Herrera. Well, I mean, you look at who, who Manchester City had on the bench. They had Aguero, Jesus, Bernardo, oh no, Bernardo Silva played, but you know, they've, got, they've, got, they've got options. Um. And whereas PSG, like you say, bring on Hander Herrera, Moise Keane, who didn't really do well at Everton. Um, I think in a way that just sets the two teams aside because they're obviously they're relying on Neymar and Mbappe to bring them the goods. And if they don't, they've got no chance to um, to win games. And obviously with Mbappe injured now, it's all going to be all going to be down to Neymar and how Neymar um, can do. Which I mean, I mean, I wouldn't write him off because Neymar is that good of a player. He could easily. 
score two goals out of nothing, but I just think the Man City team will have too much fun. Well, yeah, you remember in that Barca game against PSG when Neymar was still at Barcelona when they were six one down. Was it six one down after the first leg or something? Five one down. Four one down. Leg? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and you saw Neymar in that game pretty much just because I think Messi was injured or something. Neymar just grabbed the game and just went, All right, I'll do it. It's the same kind of concept. If I feel like if Neymar can get a chance to be the main guy, I think he'll take it. But to be honest, I think City are far too good to to you know to potentially have that. And I think one thing that did interest me was just looking at it now is that the only substitution that that uh, Guardiola made was to take Jao Con- Cancelo off on a yellow card. I think he was fully expecting that when PSG went to uh, et- the Etihad. He was fully expecting just to get absolutely bombarded by Mbappe and Neymar. And I think it's a really clever move to get Cancelo out of there just in case he got that second yellow and got sent off. Just so that he's got all his options. Because you look on the bench and at left back he's got three options for left backs. He's got um, Mendy, Zinchenko and obviously Cancelo. And I just think it's about keeping his best team so that it can play every single game. Because you know with Pep Guardiola, sometimes he makes stupid decisions in finals. Like, he'll play Phil Froden up front and then Laporte at left back for no f***ing reason. And then <laughs> he'll lose every game. And it's things like that where I just think, as a manager, Pep's starting to learn a little bit that he needs to start playing his strongest team all the time. And almost just because he has these choices doesn't mean he needs to keep making them. You know what I mean? Well, it's like in the um, FA Cup final against... Uh, semi-final, sorry, against Chelsea, where didn't he play quite a weakened team? He did, for fucking no... Like, people are talking about the quadruple with Man City. There's about 20 games, or 10, 15 games to go, in terms of in all competitions, if he gets to all finals and whatever. Why why rest players? It's, you know, 10, 15 games. I'm you can sure easily, yeah, you could easily play the same team, arguably, every, for the rest of those 15 games, and they'll still be fine. And he... And, as well, if he does play the same team in every single game, it's not like he's struggling from the bench either. So even if all his players got injured, he's still got another. He's probably got at least two. Two. He could probably easily field two teams just off the bench and the players yeah. on the pitch. Well, you know, Easy. in the Champions League, they can do five subs. Yeah, why doesn't he? That's <laughs> what I don't understand. He's resting he's players in random games. Like, imagine. You're a team. I suppose the reason he doesn't want to is because he wants to keep everyone as fresh as possible. And if, if everything's going well, it's almost better just to, you know, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. It's just better to leave it and kind of, you know, do too much on it. But I think to kind of conclude, because I realise we've been talking about Man City for about 25 minutes. Um, to conclude this, I think, what's your prediction for the next leg? Um, well, I think they, I think PSG had a chance, but obviously now I think with Mbappe and not out, he was their main. I say he's obviously a bigger threat than Neymar, but um, I think with uh, um, with Neymar, they've got always got a chance, but uh, uh, they'll be too strong. What do you think the score's going to be? Um, I I'm quite intrigued to see whether Pep. Um, that plays maybe a bit defensively, but um, I don't think uh, he will. 
Um, sorry, I can see it probably being one all. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm the same. I think I think about one all. I think PSG will, will score early, but then Man City will probably just score like five minutes later, and then the game will just die. Um, I do I do think um, the uh, having the second leg away from home is a lot. Um, more is more beneficial because, like, in a, if you say like, if PSG get, like you say, two goals, and um, Man City have just the one, it'll obviously be three all on aggregate, but and it has to go to extra time. But then Man uh, PSG have an extra half an hour to just get that one away goal, which would put them through. So I think that's why they need to watch out and be careful. Yeah, definitely. I think we'll probably move on there to uh, Chelsea Real Madrid. Obviously, a one-all draw at well, it's not the Bernabeu, is it? It's the uh, the second team's training pitch, is that or their pitch or something? Is that where they play now? Anyway, um, one-all between Real Madrid and Chelsea. Probably a very good result for Chelsea in looking at it. Um, yeah, it was a really good result for. Uh, Chelsea, a one-all uh, draw. They got the away goal, and I think overall they were the better side. I think uh, we've actually underestimated how well of a job Thomas Tuchel has done since uh, being the Chelsea manager. He's obviously took them to an FA Cup final. They beat Manchester City. They got a very good chance of being in a Champions League final. Um, I just think he's done an incredible job. Um, obviously, they've got one more. Uh, Obviously, I think they're in the fight for top four as well. I'm not sure where they are. I think they're fifth in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, obviously, with it, he'll have a summer to you know get the players that he wants specifically. And I think Chelsea next year have got a real good chance to maybe even win the league. Yeah, and I mean, just just kind of looking at the the statistics. Obviously, the big the big thing with Frank Lampard was, if I can remember, I think they just weren't scoring. They weren't scoring goals. Like Werner wasn't scoring. You know, it just wasn't really happening for them, and they didn't. They never really seemed to take control of games. They just seemed to kind of, you know, they did almost just just play the game. And if they happened to win, then they won. Brilliant, whatever. But you know, you look at it, and they're controlling possession better. They're taking more shots. You know, they're being more accurate. They're passing the ball around well. You know, they 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 made eighty nine percent of their passes. They had, you know, pass accuracy of eighty nine percent, which is. Really, you know, it's it's quite impressive. Lost possession a lot less times than than Madrid did. They they seem to be controlling games a lot more under Tuchel. I think that's that's what he's brought. It's not necessarily that he's going to turn them into a winning team straight away. It's just that he's kind of taking them into games a bit more with a bit more confidence that all right, we can control this game. So if we lose, it's on it's on us. Whereas I think with Lampard, what just you know they were going into games in form. And for whatever reason, they just couldn't take control of anything. And so literally anything could have happened in every single game. Um, I kind of, weirdly, even though we don't watch it, I want to kind of focus a bit on Real Madrid. Um, and I want to I want to talk about, weirdly, about Karim Benzema. Because I, I, I saw well. a tweet. I, co- I saw a tweet in the week um, talking about Karim Benzema. It's a very good point. It's that... He is one. I think he's probably the most underrated player on the planet. Like, there's probably no one more underestimated in terms of what his actual ability is versus what people think of him. 
because I saw this tweet and it said you can't be Real Madrid's number nine for you know over you know nine ten years whatever it is and not be a good player when you start putting some respect on his name and he obviously scored for Real Madrid today but the actual ability of Karim Benzema might be might be being criminally underestimated by everyone and potentially to the detriment of the you know the teams that play against Madrid um i suppose why why do you think he is again why do you think he is so underestimated i really don't, i really don't know um i think to to be real madrid like you say center forward for what the last sort of 8 9 10 years i think is an incredible feat and he's also got the numbers to match it you know he's he's not there just to um you know just to be in the team he's there because he gets goals and assists um i think I think the, when the era of Ronaldo and Bale, I think they were the players that everyone focused on. They were, you know, they always looked like the ones to get the goals. Um, and I think in a way it's a similar to a bit, a bit like Rooney, whereas where Rooney made Ronaldo better, and I think that was the same with Benzema. I think Benzema took Ronaldo to another level, and I think when Urza was there, it was pretty similar. Pretty similar. Um, but I think ever since Ronaldo's left and Bale's left, Benzema's been, you know, the 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 main man, and I think he's took it on uh, superbly. And I think people are slowly, as he gets older, and you know, his career eventually ended, will um, uh, coming to understand that he's been one of the best strikers to to play the game. Yeah, I think. I think you are. I think I think we we spoke about it briefly when we were talking about Wayne Rooney in one of our first podcasts. That he is, he is a player that obviously you know. He, I've just looked. He signed in two thousand and nine, so he's been there for twelve years. And you know, you, you look at the managers they've had. You look at they've had what Mourinho. I don't know if they, this was quite in the same time. They have Mourinho, Zidane. You know, they, they've had these managers where if he wasn't good enough, they'd have said something. And the fact is, he is just a baller. And I think the problem with a lot of players that play in these high-level teams is you really don't appreciate them until they've gone. And the only exceptions to that are the likes of Ronaldo and Messi. So it's almost like what we're saying to Benzema is you have to be the best player in the world. Otherwise, no one's going to care about what you do. No one's really going to think about you. And ultimately, I think that has helped Real Madrid for the past few years because I think so many people will be concentrating on Ronaldo, Bale, every single time they come up to play. But all of a sudden, when you've got this guy in the middle who's one of the best strikers in the world, people just don't know what to do with it. Um, but you've got him, obviously, playing alongside a very young striker uh, in Vinicius Jr. It's obviously going to be a massive thing for him you know, to kind of gain that experience, you know, alongside a player like uh, like Benzema. Do you think maybe that Benzema being underrated is allowing Vinicius to kind of learn how to almost perform under the radar, you know, kind of getting these goals and assists and racking it up without it being too big a deal and without, you know, letting the limelight come to your head almost? Because there's a lot of players that would, you know, start playing for Real Madrid. You know, you're on hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. You're a young guy. You're living in Madrid. You know, it, it's very hard to stay grounded. Is it 
it's almost better for someone like Vinicius to be with someone like Benzema, who is obviously a very wealthy guy, who is obviously a big celebrity potentially in uh, in Madrid, and almost learn to kind of deal with it in the way that Benzema does, in that he just kind of gets on with his business and whatever doesn't you know doesn't from what I can tell doesn't talk too much in the media. You know, he's a very he seems like a very chill guy. Is it? I think. My main question is: it, Is it good in terms of grounding Vinicius Junior to kind of? Is it good for Vinicius to be to be playing alongside someone like Benzema? Well, I think, yeah, I think it, it, obviously it's um, it's good for any young player to learn with with someone that's had such experience as Benzema. You know, he's been in Champions League finals, he's won nearly every, everything there is to win, um, and I think the important thing is that he takes the pressure off Vinicius Junior because I think like now Benzema is the main man. Um so I think in a way that will help Vin- Vinicius Junior, you know, the pressure's not on him to score the goals because the pressure's on Benzema to score the goals. Um now I'm just looking at Benzema's stats and um n- the numbers he's had since um since Ronaldo's gone is um he's scored twenty one goals in the past three seasons. In just in La Liga alone, um, yeah. So in the eighteen nineteen uh, season, he scored twenty one. Uh, nineteen twenty season, he scored twenty one. And this season so far, in um, twenty eight appearances so far, obviously it's not finished yet. He's got twenty one goals and eight assists. So he's actually got technically a goal and assist per game. Um, yeah, I mean, the guy's a baller. <laughs> the guy is, he's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I think you look at the two, the Ronaldo's last two seasons. He got he got five goals, ten assists, eleven goals, and five assists. So I think in a way there it just shows you that Ronaldo, in a way not in a way holding him back, but obviously Ronaldo is that good. But obviously now without Ronaldo being there, he's the main man, and the stats back up that is 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 a good is a good player. Yeah, and I think I think the thing is almost that when when Ronaldo is in your team, your goal record instantly looks rubbish. Like, again, I keep seeing tweets where it's like, you have to understand that scoring five to ten goals in that level of football is still quite good. You know, averaging ten goals a season for anyone is, you know, it's it's not the best, but it's okay. So the fact that he's now arguably in a worse team than when Ronaldo was about, and he's scoring 21 goals, so what, 40, 63 goals in three seasons, that's... You know that they're numbers that can break records. Obviously, again, we talk about it with foreign leagues a lot, and it's you know, could he do it in the Premier League? Is the level in the Premier League higher? It's all these kind of things. But ultimately, he's putting away the chances, so it doesn't matter who he's playing against. It's you know those things still potentially go in. I I think does it maybe is it because of his. You know his problems with France and not playing for France and stuff like that. Is that the reason maybe that he doesn't doesn't get the maybe the respect and the plaudits he deserves? Um, it could be. I think you know off the pitch, they, there's always there's always talk about him. You know, you look at his, the lifestyle he lives. You know, it's always like you know having parties, rich cars, and all that. But I guess that's the same for a lot of footballers. So I wouldn't, I don't, really, I wouldn't really put it towards that. Um. I think obviously in the Champions Champions League he, he overtook um you know Raul. Mm-hmm. 
he, he overtook his rec- uh, amount of goals in the Champions League. Um, mm. so he's just he's just criminally, criminally underrated, and um, I, there's, there's no reason to be seen as to why. Um, I just think now he's 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 thirty three years old. I think now people are starting to realise that you know he's the main man in this Real Madrid team. Ronaldo's not there. He's consistently getting goals, like you say, sixty one goals. 63 goals, sorry, over three seasons in the Liga. Um, and obviously, I think they've got a good chance of winning La Liga. I think a lot of them, a lot of the big teams have been losing recently. There's, it seems like no one wants to win there. Um, I think <laughs> Atletico Madrid, Barcelona and Real Madrid all lost at the weekend, potentially. So it's like they don't want to win it. I think it. you might be right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it'll be an incredible feat if Real Madrid win the La Liga. Um, with him at the forefront of it, obviously, because you know Hazard's not really played this season. And if you look at that Real Madrid team, there's not many of the goals in that team. Obviously, they've got you know Modric, Cruz, Ramos. They've still got the the backbone to their team, but um, Benzema's there, their uh, main guy. So, um, so how do you think? Uh, uh, just talking of Real Madrid and Benzema, how uh, do you think they can uh, win their second leg at Chelsea? I don't know. I don't know. I think they've got every chance. Obviously, I'm just looking now. They were without Ramos um, for this game. You know, I don't even think he was. No, he wasn't even on the bench. So I don't know. You know, I don't follow Real Madrid particularly. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't know quite what happened there. I think that's a big blow. But then ultimately, you look at what they've got behind the strikers and that midfield that they played in, in this game particularly, Modric, Casemiro and Cruz is just ridiculous. And when you've got Carvajal and, and Marcelo overlapping, you know, anything can happen. Um I don't know it's the problem is when you've got a team like Chelsea you are so in form. You know, there's there's in form and then there's what Chelsea have been doing. And especially you look at you talk about midfields, you talk about the midfield of Chelsea. I think Mason Mount has been unbelievable recently. Uh, Jorginho has been, you know, he's been good alongside Kante. Been, you know, been perfectly serviceable. They've been absolutely fine. They haven't, they haven't really lost many of the midfield battles, and I think that's the most important thing. Um, and obviously, even like Ben Chilwell's been been popping up in those more advanced positions where he seems to cut inside a lot more and almost go a bit more inverted. Um, I think Chelsea have got a really good chance of winning the Champions League. You know. As much as I kind of counted them out straight away, because I think when we did our prediction, we both said, you know, whoever won that Porto and Chelsea game, ultimately it didn't matter because they'd be out in the second round, in the, you know, in the semi-finals. I genuinely think we might be looking, first of all, we might be looking at two all-English finals. And second of all, if it comes to City-Chelsea, we've seen time and time again that potentially... You're not looking at a buy, you know, a, a, an easy win for City in those games, even though they are so good. And I think we talk about City's squad depth. You can look at Chelsea's and argue it's equally as good, if not better. So, honestly, I think Chelsea beat beat Real Madrid in the second leg. Um, I think that away goal will probably prove quite important. I don't quite know how. You know, I don't think it'll be a nil-nil draw, but I think you know. Potentially Chelsea just being able to almost be a bit less worried about conceding because potentially you know all they need to do is score 
score a goal and you know then they don't need to worry about it at all kind of thing um but i don't know it's it's going to be interesting man i think the fact that like you say real madrid have also got the away goals in the second leg they're the same all they have to do is score one so i think ultimately it's literally going to be who scores first and if i'm honest with mason mount and Chilwell and Werner especially in the form they're in you know pulisic scoring a goal in this in this occasion i don't see anything other than a chelsea win really yeah um i do think i think i, I, I agree a little bit that i do think chelsea will win I just think that maybe Real Madrid, you know, with all the players they've got, the experience, they've been there time and time again, whether they'll just turn up for that one game and to beat them. Because I, I think they said that Ramos might potentially be back. I'm not 100% sure, uh, which would be a massive boost for them. Um, obviously, I think, like you said, you were talking about the Chelsea midfield. I think they kind of bossed that midfield three of uh, Modric, Cruz and Casemiro, I think. And then I think... I think we're slowly, unfortunately, seeing a, a decline in this Real Madrid team. Um, mm. I saw a TikTok about you know Marcelo, their left back. Yeah, like he was, he's not as good as he was, you know, in that Chelsea game. He was pinging balls like a couple of seasons ago. He was pinging balls left. He was running up and down. Um, I think that unfortunately it's the same with Casemiro, Modric. I think they're obviously still amazing players, but um, slowly, but eventually they will slow their decline. I think, especially that Chelsea midfield, you, you know, Mason Mount, so he's, he's been unbelievable the last couple of months. Kante uh, is good as ever, and then Jorginho. Um, I think they've got, I think they've got a really good chance um, uh, to beat Real uh, Madrid. Definitely, definitely, hundred percent agree. I think, again, I think we'll we'll almost definitely be looking at an all English final, which is. Again, it's testament to the Premier League and it's more stuff, you know, it's more reasons why this Super League was such a bad idea. But, um, you know, kind of speaking of the All-English Finals, I guess we'll move over now to the uh, to the Europa League, if you fancy that. Okay, so we'll move on to the Europa League and we'll, we'll talk about, I mean, I guess I'm going to say the most boring of the two games, but... It's probably because there, you know, there were two red cards, but there wasn't as many goals. Uh, we'll talk about Arsenal versus Villarreal. Obviously, massive result for Villarreal and particularly Unai Emery. Kind of again, as as you so eloquently phrased phrased it last last uh, last podcast. It's a it's a big finger up the bum of Arsenal and their owners for getting rid of Emery. And I think I can stand corrected that they had a massive finger up the bum last night. They did. Arsenal, they're just not a team who, who can manage to win winnable games, it seems. I, I still don't get how Arsenal are in the semi-finals of the Europa League. I really don't. They're so bad. They are really, really I don't even really want to talk about them. No, I'd say we'll just quickly, quickly talk about them and move on. Um, the only thing I enjoy about Arsenal losing is Arsenal fan TV. <laughs> I was watching I the watching um, their lives. It's so funny. Yeah, I was watching the the watch along, and I think when it went two nil, uh, DT had a massive run, and there was like a someone did a like a, a video on me you know, about like how many times he swore, said like wanker, or, and they they were all like in like, double figures. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, oh, I think Arsenal fan TV and the United Standard, two of my favourite Premier League football channels on the planet. Like I watched Mark Goldbridge yesterday when he was when he was looking at the United game, and when Paul Pogba gave away the penalty, it was so funny. <laughs> Honest to God, 
Oh, it's just it's just the reactions are just incredible. <laughs> I mean, we can look at the statistics for this Arsenal game. They had more possession, but did nothing with it. They had two shots on target in the whole game, which when you've got, you know, a team of Pepe. Ode- well, to be fair, actually, they did. They paid Pepe, Odegaard, Smith, Rowe, and Saka as their kind of upfront players, which seems a bit stupid. I'm not going to lie. If you think this is their only chance, really, of making European football for next year, you'd rather them rest players in the Premier League than in the Europa League, surely. So I don't really know why that's happening. You know, they've got, like, Gabriel and Louise on the bench, Aubameyang's on the bench, Williams on the bench. I know there's been a bit of umming and ahhing about William, but even still, you've got all these players on the bench, just play them. I still think that was near enough their best team. I think Aubameyang's had a lot of Issues on and off the pitch. I think William's just shit. William is awful. To be fair, I don't know why I mentioned him. I apologise. Um, I think they've got they've got no good defenders anyway, so they're never resting a defender. I don't know whoever whoever plays, they're not being rested. They're just all shit. Um, <laughs> I mean, Gabriel, I think is the exception. I think Gabriel's yeah. quite a good player. Even Leno's had a bit of a a bit of a. Um, Disaster of a season, you know. Uh, I think also Kieran Tierney, but I think he's out injured. Am I correct? He probably is. He's been injured pretty much ninety percent of the time. He's been at Arsenal. Um, so I, is there again, a... all we're talking about with Arsenal is just things that just aren't happening. I think yeah, if we talk about yeah, I think if we focus on the game, I think like I said last week, I thought really well, especially with Unai Emery, he'd he'd want to. He'd want he'd he'd be like talking to him, make sure we don't lose today. I don't want to lose to my former team, and whatnot. Um, like, and I think I, 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 did I predict that that uh, I would win? Or am I wrong? I think we both probably did because we both know that Arsenal. Are yeah. Um. So I, I um obviously Arsenal got a bit of a luck in away goal uh, penalty. I don't know. It was a bit of a dive, but also wasn't a dive at the same time. Uh, that could mm. be very important. Obviously now they only need one goal, but I um I still think Villarreal will score with how Arsenal are defending. I mean, I'm just this is a really random point that I'm about to make, but I'm just looking at um the red cards in some of the European games. Uh, oh no, never mind. Ignore me. I was going to yeah. say I thought they were both called Capoue, but they're not. That was something else. Never mind. Well, I heard after after that game there was a lot about Arteta out because apparently. Tobias had like done a foul already on a yellow card, but he didn't get the second yellow card. And like they were saying, oh, take him off there. And then like three minutes later, Tobias did something else and then got sent off. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that just shows the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, uh, because I heard that Tobias is not going to stay at Arsenal. He's, he's announced that, well, it's been, it's been rumored that he's going to go back to Real Madrid. You know, because obviously he's on loan, um, and I don't think he wants to make his loan at Arsenal permanent, which is probably the most understandable decision anyone has ever made. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone really. I imagine like Gonosaurus probably didn't want to make his contract permanent at Arsenal. He's probably pleased. He, he's probably pleased he got sacked. Mm. You know what? Should we just move on? Because um, Arsenal. Let's just do so, a quick, but if you're quick listening, position. If you're listening and you're an Arsenal fan and you're not me or BBK. Your club is so bad. If you want to support a different club, you've got Forest and Man Man United, two teams with 
arguably more history than Arsenal. Just just go and watch another team, mate. Don't don't muck about with Arsenal. There's no need. They just can just think, get relegated. Think of your mental health. Mental health is key. Exactly. Mental health is key. You know, when, when you've got... The best thing about Arsenal is a separately run channel <laughs> by a fat bloke and some of his mates that like shouting. It's not really... And that, that is quite disrespectful, actually. I'm not going to call him fat. It's run by a bloke and his mates shouting. It's, you know... No one cares. And your owners are weirdos. They don't want to sell to a Spotify owner. It's just... just oh, did you just did you see that um, Spotify prices got raised? The Spotify what? The Spotify like price got raised. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. It's cause... <laughs> <laughs> That's because he's about to buy Arsenal Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I saw mm. a load of... Uh, fans on Twitter was like, they're, they're going to cancel their subscription because they don't want to pay for Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> moving to Apple, Again, Apple it's Music it's more about Arsenal that just isn't the football because <laughs> they are so shit <laughs> uh, right, so just do a quick prediction Villarreal go through for me yeah it's going to be about 4-0 to Villarreal in the second leg which, if, if Arsenal do go through then fair play because I think it's one of them games where Villarreal are quite shit as well it's just that Arsenal are really shit like so mm. I, I don't I don't really care to be honest. Yeah, the actually, next game though is is a lot more interesting. So. I was just about to say there. Uh, speaking of all the four teams, there's uh, so there's obviously Villarreal who are seventh in La Liga. There's Arsenal who are tenth in the Premier League. Roma <laughs> who are seventh in Serie A, and then there's Manchester United that are actually like second in the Premier League, the only decent one. Exactly. Um, I mean, United should win the Europa League. Yeah, I think obviously. On the game last night, Man United being sixty winners. If they don't win the Europa League, um, I, I I don't even know what to say. Well, we'll move on to um to Man United because I think there's there's two very key players that maybe maybe three that it ultimately depends on whether or not they're going to win the Europa League. I think you look at Pogba, Cavani, and Bruno. I think yep. if they're on fire for the rest of the Europa League, they'll win it no problem. In fact, Pogba was so good uh, last night, he actually got dope tested at the end. <laughs> he had to do a doping test at the end, just in case. It was so, like he, uh, read into he, that what you will. He dropped a masterclass and then got asked to, uh, to, to be tested. Exactly. So, I mean, we'll talk about the first, because it was definitely, you know, it's, it's an old cliche, but it was definitely a game of two halves. Yeah. Um. First half, I thought from you know I wasn't again I wasn't watching watching I was watching a uh, a Mark Goldbridge watch along which was incredible <laughs> uh, talking about his tartan trousers which I thought was incredible but you know I watched the highlights and the goals obviously the penalty that was a bit here nor there it's you know but and then Edin Dzeko scoring I think that again it's it is what it is but it just didn't. It didn't seem like Man United were particularly, I don't know, up for it or in it, and nothing seemed to be going their way. Obviously, Cavani had the chance to to make it two all at the end of the second half. It just didn't seem to be going United's way at all, particularly. Um, what did you make of first of all? Like first of all, what did you make of the first half? Um, well, we obviously had a really good start, didn't we? Um... I thought on the front four we got you know we started that we played well we got a goal very well worked goal between Cavani and uh, and Bruno um, and I think ever since the goal we just sort of hit the break a little bit I think Roma started playing a little bit and we just didn't really 
don't we? Yeah, I don't know. We just we were a bit off the first half. Um, obviously, the penalty was a bit unfortunate. I think. Um, you know, if it, uh, yeah, I think it was one of those where if it if, if it was against you, everyone would be like no. Uh, but then if 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 that's your team, you'll be like that's a penalty. So it's just I think it was one of those. Um, obviously very annoying. I think ever ever since that, they were just off it. You know, they were probably still upset about that decision. The Roma scored a second with Jacko. Um, I think we just needed to get to half time because you could clearly see that we were the better team. You know, we got the better players. Um. And obviously, by the second half of performance, uh, that tells you. Otherwise, I think we've got uh, five goals in the second half. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you reckon it's one of the best half, second one of the best sort of second half performances you've seen in Armagh? Oh, definitely. I mean, well, you look at United when they played. Um, oh, who was it? They won five one, and all the goals came in like the last twenty minutes or something. We've won quite a few games. Leipzig. Yeah. When it's like Rashford came on for like the last 10 uh, minutes. Oh, yeah. And he's got that. And he's got a hat trick in like, yeah, 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think United are. I think what I actually think is that Oli has very good control over that dressing room. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it is necessarily Ole kind of screaming at the players, being like, yeah, come on, we can do it. It might just be that he's got a dressing room where. He can tell them what to do tactically, and he knows he's got Cavani, Pogba, Bruno in there. He knows he's got Harry Maguire, who's obviously got a voice in that team. He's got like De Gea, players who've been there for a while, and he's got these young players who understand what it means. So I, I just think he's got a good group of players who are a very tight knit bunch. They're all, you know, there's a mixture of youth and age in there. There's a, you know, you've got Marcus Rashford who's shown, you know. His own character in on and off the pitch. I just think he's got a group of players who are very almost like vulnerable, if you know what I mean. As in, they're they're willing to kind of talk to each other in a way where, you know, at half time they can go in and tell each other you've been shit and this is why, and then they can improve on it. I think Ole, being that kind of calm and mild mannered guy. Is ultimately, I think, what sets them up for these these second half performances, and that's why you know when they come out, and you know even back in you know earlier in the season they were coming back from you know one nil down, two nil down sometimes. I think it's all down to Ollie and what a f- unbelievable job he's done. If I'm honest, do you think um, there's a lot? You know, when we spoke about Mourinho being sacked last week, um, do you think a lot of it is down to Ollie's man management? I think you have to. If you look at the way he handled the Pogba situation, I don't know if you um with um he uh, his agent coming out being like Pogba wants to move or what he does the same thing every season just uh, with Pogba. So do you think it's the way that he managed he's managed that squad? Yeah, and I think it's it's a huge thing for someone because I, I want to be I want to be respectful about Ollie, and I think you'll get what I'm saying in a minute. But Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer was never the best player at Man United. You know, he was never that big guy. He had he had moments. He came off the bench fine. He was never the best striker at Man United. He was never the best player at Man United. He was never like a big name at Manchester United. And even in his in his management, you know, he he did uh, pretty shit with um with Cardiff, and then it was it Ostersunds he managed as well. Uh, yeah, and then he went, he went something to like Mo- some he went Swedish to team. Mold. Yeah. So, you where, know, like, where where he managed Ireland. 
Yeah, true. He's my point is that he's he's a very I think he's a manager that doesn't have a big ego. And for him to then come in and talk to players like Pogba and Bruno who, you know, let's not get it wrong, Pogba is probably getting paid loads of money. Bruno is probably getting paid shitloads of money. And the fact he can go in there and just say to him, look, none of that matters. You know, you have to do your bit. And I think especially with Pogba, he's probably one of the first managers to ever look at Paul Pogba and go, right, if you're playing bad and you're not training well, you're not playing. And it's a huge risk to take Paul Pogba out of a team. You know, when, when you're thinking that you're replacing him with McTominay or Fred, it's a very big risk to be taking them out of the team. But ultimately, you look at the, kind of the way he's got them playing, especially where Paul Pogba's playing at the minute. It's kind of like a a wide role, which we've never really seen him in. Yeah, like left mid. I think it's but... really interesting the way Ollie's done it. No, I think Ollie deserves a lot of credit. I've always seen, and there's always people about Ollie out, but I think the key thing with this United squad and Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer is that we're progressing. You know, under the, the other man, you know, under Mourinho, we may have won the Europa League. And we may have won, you know, the trophies under him, but I didn't see the team playing football the way that we should be, the way that we all want to. Whereas under Ollie, you can clearly see that, you know, progress is being made. We made, we we made it to, I think, four semi-finals in a row or whatever, you know, and we lost them all, obviously. But that's not good. But like, hopefully now, you know, we're going to get through to this final, and if we win the Europa League. And then, you know, next year, try and push for the Premier League, you know, try and go find the Champions League. You can just clearly see that progress is being made under Ole and they all want to play for him. And I think that's the key thing. And the other managers, they didn't want to, you know, you look at Pogba, he didn't want to play for Mourinho. Whereas now, under Ole, Pogba, you know, wants to play for Manchester United again. And I think that that all has to go down to, to Ole and he's got them all playing um, incredible football. Obviously, you know, Bruno's been... Incredible! You look at Cavani, what he's done since he's come in. You know, got some good young talent. Well, not good, incredible young talents, and you know, Rashford, Greenwood. Um, and I just think it's important that this summer, um, the Glazers, or obviously, you know, with the whole Super League in Beckham, you know, I think they want to, uh, you know, Declan Rice and Sancho, and I think we've got a really good chance for next season. Yeah, and I think the key thing. Obviously, I don't want to go on about Mourinho again because I'm pretty sure he's been mentioned in every single podcast we've done. But the key thing with Mourinho and Solskjaer is Solskjaer does play counter-attacking football, which is kind of Mourinho-esque. And the comparison clearly is that when Mourinho is you know, working, when the Mourinho way is working, he will win you loads. But the problem is, when it isn't working, you end up just playing crap football, and then you end up not getting on with the players. So all that happens is you win, you win. I don't know something in, in this season for Spurs. Obviously, they haven't. But you know, if you're not winning things, that no one wants to have Jose Mourinho as manager. And I think what Ole's shown is that he is a patient guy who. who you know, will adapt his style and will take the ego out of Manchester United, which ultimately I don't think Jose Mourinho could do because Mourinho's ego was too far gone at that point. I think Ole's just gone in and just gone. You know, I'm not. I wasn't the best player, but I, you know, I played a bit. And he's obviously just taken these young players and just gone. Look, we're going to play a way of football. We're not going to play like 
Manchester United where we, we pass the ball around. We play this beautiful football because we've got Skulls and Giggs and Beckham and Keane and Cole and York up front and stuff like that. We can't do that anymore. So we have to play a different way. And I think that's ultimately what Mourinho never did. Is He never adapted himself to the Man United job in the same way that he never did for Tottenham. In the same way that he'll probably never do ever again wherever he goes. He's at TalkSport at the minute. He'll probably still somehow play also, defensive football at TalkSport. I also you know, saw that he, he probably he plays the football as well. manager on Super Defence. Yeah, exactly. He'll probably he probably plays FIFA on Ultra Defensive all the time. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. He could be playing against a baby and he'll put it on Ultra Defensive. And it's, I think what Oli's managed to do is just play that Mourinho-ish. I'm not going to say Oli Oli and Mourinho play the same style of football because they clearly don't. But he's managed to get that Mourinho-ish style of play but also being able to adapt to certain situations and also if I'm honest not be a complete about it you know what I mean so I think Ole is going to be one of the best managers United have ever had potentially obviously I think he might be a second best to, to Alex Ferguson when the time comes um, I, I think obviously time will tell but I think the one difference is, and it's a key factor, is that he loves the club, and I think I think it's as simple as that. He wants what's best for United, whereas you know, Mourinho wanted what was best for himself, and I think it's as simple as that. He he wants Manchester United to be, be to be winning Premier League titles, not because he's their manager, because he's you know he's a fan at first. Um, obviously, I'm not saying having you know ex players as a manager is a, is a good thing to go. You know, you look at all the other ex-managers that are in the Premier League now or in a managerial job. Um, but I do think at the moment in time, it, it's working with Manchester United. And um, obviously, you know, they win the Europa League, which um, I think they've got a very good chance to win. Obviously, they're, they're, I don't want to say it now, but I think they're in the final. Um, I don't know if you can agree. Uh, yeah. The only thing that gets me is the two away goals. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's the only thing. Yeah, but then but I think the chances other, of us... Other not... that, four goals next game is probably not going to happen for Roma. Yeah, but then I think if we get an away goal, then they need like an extra one or two. Um, I think, yeah, I think we, I think we can safely say, say... You could probably say... Yeah, I think we can safely say United are through. 80%. Yeah, and 80%. then I think... Um, and then I think we've got the players for when that final was here, you know, Bruno, Cavani, Pogba... Uh, De Gea, I think we've got the players to win that 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 Europa League final. And potentially, like you say, you are the best, potentially the best team in the in the competition. So there's no reason why you shouldn't give it a go. And to be honest, even looking at the Champions League, I'd I'd maybe back them to to do well in that group of four in the Champions League. You know, say you replaced any one of them, Chelsea, City. You know, I'd still probably give them a good go against. You know your Reals and Cities, Chelseas and and PSGs. Well, I think that's what another thing Ole is actually quite underrated for is is tactics. You know, he's he's won mm. some big games. You know, you look at you. You know, they were the first team to they were they ended Man City's record of I don't know how many games they went unbeaten. Um, you know, they they just beat Spurs. They uh, they're playing Liverpool this weekend, so that'll obviously be another test for Ole. To see how they do, um, but um, no, I think he's he's done a um, a very good job, um, and I think it is very key that they win the Europa League this year, and I, th- I think they've obviously got a very 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 good chance. 
um, to win the Europa League. Definitely. I think we've we've covered all the football fairly well there, bro. I don't know about don't know what you think, but I'm I'm quite happy with that. In that case, we I think we'll round it off there. I think we've actually managed to produce a pretty good uh, pretty good time podcast there. Uh, right, yeah. Do you want to start the ending? Okay, so that concludes our European podcast. Obviously, everything we say is probably going to end up being wrong, and you know, it'll probably be a Villarreal bloody Roma final, um, <laughs> and Chelsea will probably lose every game from now until then. Um, but you know, we have to put ourselves out there at the end of the day. If you were to record yourself for an hour and ten minutes, you'd probably get things wrong as well. So shush your mush, even though no one said anything. Um, to be fair, if I've not said that, I've not said that much thing wrong. I don't think. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. You are half of our listeners, and of course, I'm the other half. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this has been good, bro. I think I've I've really enjoyed. It. I think it's been a good chat. Um, yeah, I think it's been a good podcast today. With, with all that being said, I have been Ben, and I have also been Ben, and this has been both podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Spotify, TikTok. And Twitter now. We're on them all. Uh, we are now on them all. We have had some absolute bang tweets from the late, uh, the late, the great BBK. Thank you very um, much. Just all talk through your now. Twitter game very quickly, bro. Yeah, I'm not being, I'll get back on Twitter this weekend. I'll, I'll call some people out. If you see any tweets that we make and you agree or disagree, get in, get involved. We will chat for hours and hours and hours about your tweets. We will, we will, you know, reply to you. All the time. We're absolute legends. And uh, 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 thank quick, you very uh, much for listening. Uh, I, I reckon we Go need on. a uh, both uh, Snapchat. We probably do need a both Snapchat, <laughs> although I'm not sure how many people really use Snapchat anymore. Um, but anyway, thank you very much for listening. We will see you, or you will hear us, I should say, same time next week, next Monday, for another both podcast. Cheers. Bye-bye.